The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Well, um, Marissa Miscavige has been doing a great job of uh, ministering through the church Facebook page, and uh, she... Oh, she puts on there different things. Some of them are just fun. You know, yesterday I got to list what my favorite breakfast food was, which, by the way, is a Hawaiian omelet. I'm really into ham and pineapples, which probably grosses some of you out, but I thought I ought to share that anyway. Uh, but she has also just put down there just some, some different quotes and ideas and thoughts that help us, some interactive stuff. One of the things that she posted on there that really helped me was a, uh, was a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, the, uh, one day, you know, just ha had a, a little thing in there where Lucy, and uh, hopefully enough of you remember the story. I'm not wasting my time here, but Lucy uh, is talking to Aslan. And I, I love the imagery. Whoever did the creation of the character Aslan, or I mean the lion, the way they put him in here, how majestic he looks, and Liam Neeson's voice is just great in the movie. Uh, but, uh, but Lucy says to him, you've gotten bigger. Uh, you know, you've, you've grown. You've gotten bigger. And he responds and says, no, I, I haven't. I've stayed the same. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And that, that really stuck with me. I think she put that on there a couple weeks ago. But I, I just got thinking, you know, I've said a number of times that the, I feel like the more I get to know God, the less I know of God, <laughs> his, his vastness. And, uh, and I was thinking about that in relation to our study of the book of Acts. Because even his word to me is just... Uh, it, the depth of it just overwhelms me, and the better I know it, I feel like sometimes the less I know of it. Uh, you know, he is just so much bigger. Um, I've got to teach, or I, I've had the privilege of teaching through the book of Acts more than any other passage of Scripture or any other book in Scripture. So I feel like, to some degree, I know the book of Acts pretty well. And yet, as I've opened it up and studied it each week as we've gone through, and uh, I'm like, okay, I know. That's, that's so new, that's so exciting, that's, that's so powerful, God. How did I miss that before? And the depth of God and His Word, and the more we get to know Him, uh, again, we, we just see His bigness. And as we grow in the Lord, our God becomes bigger and bigger. But anyway, yesterday, I sat down and I thought, okay, maybe uh, I wanted to get a little context behind that quote. And I, so I went to YouTube and I started to watch some of the different scenes that, uh, or try to find that scene. And in one of the scenes that I ended up watching, um, there was a scene where I, I think it just talked about Lucy finding Aslan after a while when she hadn't been around him. And I'm not all that familiar with the stories. I'd need a refresher course. But, uh, but in this scene, she looks uh, at him and she says, she looks at the, at the lion at Aslan and she says, where have you been? We needed you. And that, that phrase really stuck with me. I, I, I watched that yesterday morning, and I just got thinking about that. I think for many of us, that's the cry of our hearts right now. God, we really need you. Um, there is a, uh, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things today. We're, we're going to move into uh, Acts chapter 14 in just a minute here. But before we do that, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things today. One of them, there's a passage of Scripture I read with our small group on Wednesday night. Just Psalm 75, I want to encourage you to take a look at that today. 
Uh, one verse in particular, verse number three, says that the, when the earth totters, God says this, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, when things are shaky, when the, they don't seem to have any stability, he said, I will keep steady the pillars. And uh, just to be able to lean in him as we see things that are disheveled, th things that are messed up, things that are tottering, uh, to be able to lean into him and I uh, encourage you to read that over today. Read 75, maybe take some time as a family and read Psalm 75 together. The other thing I really hope that you'll be doing with me is just praying for our country. I'll say that, but I'll say beyond that, even as we have looked through Acts, not just our country, let's pray most definitely for our world. Um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, <laughs> I search for, hey, you know, what, what, what can my voice do today, Lord? You know, how can I help in some way? And, and I think the best thing for me to do is just to ask you and encourage you uh, to be praying right now. So would you pray with me for a moment just as, as we begin here today? <laughs> Father, I think it's obvious that uh, we're not doing a very good job on this earth right now of a lot of different things. <laughs> Health, uh, politics, peace. So, Father, we bow before the great physician, the King of kings, and the Prince of peace. And we say, Father, we need you. Um, Lord, I, a little girl looked at the lion and said, uh, where have you been? And I know sometimes that's the prayer of our hearts. And I, and I know that your answer is similar to his, too, that you are, you never leave us. You never forsake us. And, uh, Lord, we call upon you now, uh, recognizing our complete need, our total dependence upon you. And, Lord, help your people to respond <laughs> as you're calling us to right now. I pray in your name. Amen. Okay, as I mentioned, our journey has been through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14 is uh, where we are today, which means we are in the second part of the first missionary journey. Now, last week we looked at some of the essentials of ministry that you saw as they start off in the first missionary journey. Uh, we found out that ministry, and I'm not talking about those of us who are paid to be in ministry, but the ministry that all of us are called to is not hard. It is actually impossible. <laughs> we cannot accomplish it without God's Spirit and our need for Him and His power. Uh, us to operate uh, courageously, but in the recognition that we're completely dependent upon Him, for without Him we can do nothing. Uh, the importance of the Word of God, that, uh, that that be preached and that that truth be proclaimed in people's life. And then just the idea that God is always about sending. God is not about us sitting. God is about sending us out with the message of the gospel, uh, getting off our cabooses and moving forward. And if we accept or embrace that, again, not as... You know, I'm not talking to a pastor's conference, but I'm talking to all people of God saying this is what we are called to as far as ministry goes. As we go into Acts chapter 14, I think we'll see some more things uh, that are essential to that ministry. Now at Iconium, they enter together into the Jewish synagogue. They, they have moved now from the Isle of Cyprus, which is out there in the Mediterranean, up into the area that today is Turkey. Uh, and they spoke in such a way that a great number both of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. A, a consistent theme of the missionary journeys is that they were tough journeys. As I read that, 
You know, I thought about some of the things that Paul faced on journey, even as he was he here in this area. By the way, this is an area that uh, it, here in Asia Minor, the area of Galatia is there. The letter to the Galatians is, is unique in that most of Paul's letters are written to a specific town, a specific city, uh, Thessalonica or Ephesus or Corinth. Uh, but this is written to a whole area, the area of Galatia. And we're going to look at that letter here in a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to go back and see some of the things that he wrote to them to kind of build on his ministry here. But Paul is traveling through this, out this area, and during this time it is believed that he got sick. Probably something similar to malaria that affected his eyesight. He wrote to the Galatians and he said, I know you cared about me so much. If you, if you could have, you'd have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Uh, and then he also said that uh, at the end he wrote a little bit in his own uh, hand because most of it he had dictated. And he said, you notice how large I'm writing in my own hand because he had been sick and it had, it had uh, plagued him and messed up his, his, eye, his eyesight. Uh, when I think about the missionary journeys that I have gone on, the short-term missionary journeys, and think about the hardships that I face, I think we were in Hungary for uh, eight or ten days uh, one year ministering. We, we did an English camp. We did some basketball camps and helped our missionary, uh, Mark Patton, there. I think the hardest thing was dealing with the European breakfasts. I don't know if you have ever been there, but they have some unique, we used to call them naked hot dogs. I don't know how else to describe them, but uh, they, they were hot dogs without the skin on them that she served every morning for breakfast. That was the hardship that we faced. Uh, now, our last missionary journey to uh, Guatemala, I did bring back a friend that uh, lived in my intestines for a little while. I guess that could be considered a little bit of a hardship. But when I compare, uh, you know, some of the things that we think of as hardships compared to what Paul faced, uh, here's what's happening here. The, the, he has great enemies. They're stirring up the Gentiles, poisoning their minds. And they remained there a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers uh, to mistreat them and to stone them. Now, let me uh, just emphasize something here for a second. We often... Um, in trying to figure out where God would have us go when trying to figure out His will, we look primarily to circumstances. I do think that sometimes circumstances play a role, but if you look what went on here as they're following the Holy Spirit, things got hard, so what did they do? They remained. Now, we're going to read in a minute here that at another time when they're deciding to stone them, it was time to move on. But, you, but there are some times when uh, difficulty is not a sign that we're moving uh, against what God wants us to do. And the apostles here are moving forward, and, uh, and yet they're facing incredible difficulty. Now it has gotten to the place where they even want to stone them. And they, when they learned of it, now they're leaving. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and in the surrounding country, and there they continue to preach the gospel. That's the one constant. They're going to come back. They're going to preach the gospel again. Now, Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. He had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright to your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and they wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard it, they tore their garments. They rushed into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you the good news, and you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations uh, to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to, to them. One of the first things that I would like you to think about with me that, again, is an essential to ministry that we see in here is this idea right here, accurate worship. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking with a woman at the well, and he tells her that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? Must be in spirit, our worship should be authentic, and in, in truth, our worship should be accurate. The foundation, really, of our thinking comes back to what we believe about God. Do we have the right view of God? Do we, first of all, believe that God exists? And secondly, what do we believe about Him? And that becomes the cornerstone, really, of our lives because it is the cornerstone of our thinking, what it is that we believe about God. Now, obviously, as he is ministering here, again, in a very Greek culture, he, uh, the, the people that are hearing him do not have a proper view of God. Because what do they do immediately? They begin to worship these men and say, hey, this guy over here, Zeus, he must be the, the king of the gods. There's Barnabas, who probably had this stately appearance, and his messenger is Hermes, and, and so there he is. That must be Paul, and they begin to worship, but, worship them, but somehow they had the wrong view. They had a view from their culture of what God is or who God is. Now, I... Uh, <laughs> You know, we all have kind of our little secret. I, I don't think I'll call this a secret sin, but we all have our little things we're embarrassed about that, we, you know, we're, we hate to admit that we actually watched this on TV or saw this movie or we like this kind of music or something like that. There was a spell back when my wife and I were first married. Now, we lived, um, we didn't even have really a TV that was set up regularly. We had this little black and white box that we pull, pull out. And we got in the habit of, ever, first of all, our first confession, every Saturday night we would watch wrestling. Okay, you know, Macho Man, Randy Savage, that's when he was real big, and Hulk Hogan. And we would watch that every Saturday night at 11.30. We didn't tell anybody uh, because we were embarrassed for several reasons, but we watched that, that all the time. After we went through that phase, we got into another phase. And I don't know if anybody will remember this, but there used to be a show on uh, Hercules. Kevin Sorbo played Hercules. And we would watch, it was on every Saturday night after the news, and we would watch it for an hour afterwards, and we got into watching Hercules, one of the goofiest shows you've ever seen. You know, Kevin Sorbo is not up for an Academy Award as a result of, the, of, that, of that work on Hercules. But we would watch it every week, and every week, you know, there was a different God that was like a man, and he had the same jealousies and the same flaws and everything. Uh, but he had this power, and he was in control of this, or she was in control of this. And they had all these different gods, the multiple gods. But that was the Greek culture. 
They believed in a multitude of gods. The king of the god is Zeus and all these other gods that are responsible in these different areas. So when they hear the gospel, uh, I'm, sorry, when, I'm sorry, when they watch this man be healed, they look and say, oh, it must be a god. So therefore, hey, that must be Zeus and that must be Hermes. Their view is messed up. Their view of God is messed up by their culture. Now, I'd like you to consider that idea for a second because oftentimes our view of God is also messed up by our culture. Maybe, indeed, it is our family culture. Okay, maybe there is something where somehow, you know, I've mentioned this before, but for some people they have a very hard time when we talk about the God the Father or God the Daddy because Daddy wasn't a good word to them. Because Dad wasn't there or dad wasn't a very good picture and therefore uh, they, they have a hard time uh, worshiping God as father or as dad. Uh, you know, I think in my family, uh, receiving any type of acceptance was very hard. So for me, a lot of times I have viewed my God as standing there kind of, you know, I've disappointed him. You know, no, and no matter what I do, I've Felt like, you know, sometimes I disappointed God. So sometimes our view of God is shaped by family. Uh, sometimes our view of God is just shaped by different teaching that we received. In my early days of even following the Lord, I was in churches where oftentimes it, it was that same idea of somehow, hey, you got to prove your worth to God. You know, somehow you got to do enough to make yourself valuable to God. And that very much shaped my view of God, at, you know, how I saw him. Sometimes our view of God is simply shaped by what I want him to be. You know, the, Jesus or God said, I am that I am. He didn't say, I am whatever you want me to be. But many times in our world, we think that idea of, well, the, and this is how I like to think of God. So we have a view based on how I like to see him. Understand, understanding the true view of God is, is so crucial because we get this idea that it doesn't really matter sometimes what God you worship. And I want to say that other religions, for example, we'll say Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, any of those other religions are going to have some very good truth in them. They could probably be incredibly helpful if you follow them on how to help you to live better. Uh, they, are, uh, they can help. They, they're going to offer help. What they're not going to offer and what separates the true God is the idea that God sent his son Jesus Christ to be a savior. He did not come to make us better. He came to save us. A couple of weeks ago, you may have read about a Christian leader passing away by the name of Ravi Zacharias. But one of the quotes uh, for which he is remembered is that God did not come or Jesus did not come to this earth to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And I hope as you see that, as you hear that, and as you think about that, you understand that we cannot have just another religion, just another God. It doesn't really matter what it is that you believe about God. There is a very distinct difference. It is not about us, you know, becoming better people and eventually earning our way to God. It is about the fact that we cannot become good enough to earn our way to God. So God himself bridged that gap in the person of Jesus Christ, coming to this earth, taking uh, our sin upon him, bearing that sin on the cross, paying the price for that sin, and raising victorious over sin and death, and saying, come to me, believe in me, trust in me, it really is totally different. So if we have this idea that it doesn't really matter how you see God as long as you see God, I'm sorry, but that's just wrong. <laughs> that's just not going to get it. There is one true 
God. And to get the true view, Paul talked to them in his verses, and he said, hey, if you're going to have the true view, you're going to have to put aside some of these vain things, okay? Because we have a tendency to worship things that really do not matter and do not last on this earth. I, uh, when I am working around the house, um, usually, if I can, put some music on, I find some oldies, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody should listen to oldies, but I am saying that uh, they advertise oldies as music that just sounds like you're having a good time. That's what I always think of oldies. You know, they just seem to, I, I just seem to have fun doing it. My neighbor has a different philosophy. Uh, he listens quite regularly to Johnny Cash. And he, he's a young man, uh, but, uh, but he's a big Johnny Cash fan. And I often, and not that, I think he's hard of hearing, but uh, I often am hearing the Johnny Cash music come over the little, little fence there like he's going and listening uh, to that. Now, again, I'm not criticizing Johnny Cash. Uh, I'm sure an incredible artist, but not exactly feel-good music to me. Okay, just doesn't sound like he's having a good time. You know, maybe a couple, Boy Named Sue, uh, the one about the train. That, that, those are kind of fun. But most of them, not a whole lot of fun. But one day I'm sitting there listening, and uh, I, I, what was it? The Empire of Dirt? I don't know if you've ever heard that song. I think that's one of Cash's big hits is I, I have an Empire of Dirt. Uh, so I looked that, that idea up, the Empire of Dirt that he had, and I found out that if you go to the Johnny Cash Museum, the last thing, the last exhibit is Johnny Cash playing and singing at the end of his life, I had an Empire of Dirt. All that I built, all that I have, all that I collected here is, is nothing but dirt. It doesn't really last. And what Paul says to these people is, hey, if you are living your life for these things that are vain, these things that do not last, if you are going to worship the true God, if you're going to know who he is, you're going to have to put away these other gods, these other things that we want to worship. The first commandment addresses this is we cannot have any other gods before him. If we're going to worship the true God, we've got to put away the other things that we worship. And obviously that is also going to include worshiping man. And I've mentioned this before, so I won't go, go, on this, uh, go on about this for very long. But it needs to be said again. We have such a tendency to worship men, even in our pursuit of Christ, even in the Christian world, we lift people up too high. Please read what Paul and Barnabas said to these guys here. They said, hey, we are men. We are men, and we are men just like you. Okay? Do you get that? Please get a hold of that. Why we have to elevate people all the time and end up worshiping them, it's a scary thing. Now, you know, I'm not preaching against having a poster of LeBron James or Tom, well, Tom Brady, yeah, I'd preach against that. But uh, I'm not, you know, po uh, preaching against that type of thing. I'm just saying that, you know, if these become our gods and if people, and, and oh, we have such a tendency to do that, like I said, even in the Christian world. So how are we going to know this true God? How are we going to uh, learn more about him and get closer to him? And as we talked about in the beginning, the more we know him, uh, even see how incredibly big he is. Well, God has revealed himself to us. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is a great place to look for these first two. He is given to everyone the witness of conscience. We know that there is a God. Even atheists who say there is no God, they too have a image of God because that's what they don't like about him. That's why they've rejected him. We all know and inside that there is a God. Creation bears witness to him undeniably so that there is a uh, intelligent designer of the universe. So we have that general revelation that all have. There's also so specific revelation of God that he gives us in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody said uh, wouldn't it be nice if God took a selfie and gave it to us? Well, 
truth of the matter is he did in the person of Jesus Christ Hebrews chapter 1 is one of the great passages in Scripture on Christology or the study of Jesus but long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to the fathers by the prophets but in those last days he spoke to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the earth he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's so much in there, but just if we look at that idea that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint. Another great passage on Christology is in Colossians chapter 1. But we find that he is the image of the invisible God. You may have heard the story of the little girl that they had an assignment in class to draw uh, one of their favorite things. And the teacher came by and saw kind of scribbles all over the paper. And, and she said to the little girl, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I decided to draw God. And the, the teacher said, uh, well, honey, you can't really draw God. Nobody knows what he looks like. And she said, well, they will when they see my picture. Uh, but we, d we do have a, the image of the perfect God uh, uh, in Jesus Christ so how important is and I know this is ultimate of cliches to use but how important is it that we think of the whole idea of what would Jesus do um, when my family came to a I don't know if the word is crisis but kind of a crossroads point in our life one time we were involved in a ministry that was changing and um, we were we weren't sure if the changes were good we thought, hey, you know, anytime there's change going on, you, you wonder, hey, it seems like things are going bad and things are falling apart. Uh, that's kind of in our nature. We're not crazy about change. And as the ministry started to change, we had to look and say, hey, is, are they making bad changes? So my wife and I decided that we would really press into and try to figure out what are the things that are really important to Jesus. And we, uh, <laughs> there's four books in the Bible that really help us out a lot with that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as, as we looked into that and said, hey, let's make sure that we are valuing the things Jesus values. Let's make sure that we are leaning uh, on him and his instruction and not caught up in some of man's teaching like that. If we are going to accurately worship God, we're going to do that. We're going to be asking ourselves in different situations, what indeed would Jesus do? I want to continue on the story a little bit here that we're reading in Acts chapter 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Hey, let me just stop there for one second here. They came a long way to get Paul and Barnabas. Okay, what is it that makes somebody so angry about God? What is it that makes them so angry to prove that he doesn't exist? Now, I don't want to pop anybody's bubble here, but I don't believe the Easter Bunny exists. I just, I just, I've always had a hard time with that concept. If you do, I, you know, I don't want to fight you about it, but I'm not a big, uh, even though I was a little kid, I just had this, in fact, the, the whole idea of this guy hopping in my house and leaving the Easter basket and hiding eggs is creeping me out. Uh, I never really liked it, and I really, really, really do not believe the Easter Bunny exists, but you know, I don't really get angry about it, you know. And so whether or not, and, I, and if I find somebody who believes in the Easter Bunny, I don't, I don't really get angry. But why is it about God that people will say he doesn't exist? Why does that create so much anger? I believe the biggest thing and the reason why there is so much anger is because he's God. And therefore, he is the one who is trying to tell you how to live your life. 
<laughs> really, people don't like being told how to live their life. Uh, so there's incredible anger here com coming towards them. And they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. Now, digest that for a minute, okay? He was in bad enough shape, they figured he's dead. Uh, and when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And the next day he went on to, uh, with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel, <laughs> again, it's not that Paul's a slow learner. It's just that Paul is, is, is going to preach the gospel. Uh, and he had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Uh, in whom they had believed. I just wanted you to see how this first missionary journey is ending. That Paul and Barnabas now, despite the incredible opposition they face, and obviously that's an understatement, they've been stoned. Okay, uh, they have decided that they're going to revisit the churches and they're going to make sure that, uh, that these folks are, are growing in the Lord. They are going to place a great deal of emphasis on disciple making. Okay, it's not enough to say, hey, we'd like you to believe in Jesus and then we'll see you in heaven. They said, hey, we are going to uh, press on with this and make sure that we are growing. Uh, make sure that they are in churches there and these churches are established and that these churches have good leadership that can help them. Now, I don't think what I'm going to say is self-serving, but it may sound like that for a minute. One of the things I did want to say just for a second is that churches are most necessarily essential. Don't get excited. This is not a political statement. Okay. Churches are most definitely essential uh, before presidents or governors or anybody else decides that they are. They just are because this is God's view. And I, I want you to think about that with me. This is how God set things up. He set things up that we would have local churches and that you'd have leaders in those churches to minister. God's plan, God's design, that, that's what he's doing. This has to... Now, I want to be real honest with you. I, I was talking to, I'm sorry, emailing friend that I have, a friend from high school. And uh, he was saying, you know, he said, we're kind of, my wife and I are kind of getting into this thing where we, we have a nice routine down now. This not going to church is all right. I get up in the morning, I go out and get some donuts and bring them back. And we sit out on the patio and we watch the church service and we just have a good time. We kind of like it. Kind of like, are, are you sure we have to start up church again? I don't, I don't know if we should. Uh, I want to be honest with you, too. I understand uh, sometimes I would say I even connect with that. I mean, I've thought about the future sometimes, and, and you know, if I, if I live a normal lifespan, there's probably going to come a time when I step away from pastoring here, and, you know, it's not usually wise for the pastor to stay around in the church where he pastored, so I'm probably going to be looking for another church. And I actually have kind of thought, I don't really know if I want to. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, I could occasionally preach somewhere that they'd have me come in, but maybe I could just get by without a church. That is how my mind thinks a lot of times, but I want to bring us back to how God set things up, how God designed, what his thoughts are as far as church goes. Now, I also get this. When this whole shutdown started and we, we stopped meeting, I thought, man, in two weeks we're going to get back together and everybody's going to be so excited to be back together. Of course, it's been a little bit longer than two weeks. But I, I also have come to the realization, even as other churches and some in Indiana and so forth begin to open, that everybody is not going to rush back in. I get that, okay? I understand that, and I believe, you know, we will come back cautiously, respectfully. Uh, we will try to come back, you know, thinking of how we can be the best neighbors and the best citizens. That's what we're going to try, try to be doing moving forward. But as we do that, 
Uh, you know, it, it's, I am not expecting everybody to rush right in, but I don't want us to move away from that idea of, okay, I, and get to this idea of, okay, I don't really need church. I don't really need it. I, I can make it without it. Let me, uh, I thought about this this morning. I'm going to make a mess. I'm going to have to break out the vacuum cleaner. Um, we have about five or six uh, giant maple trees in our yard. Our yard's not that big, but we have a bunch of maple trees. So right now, we have uh, an onslaught of, I, I believe the scientific name for these is helicopters. Uh, that's, what, that's what we call them anyway. I guess they're maple seeds. They come down. These maple trees, we, we love them, but, you know, I finally got the gutters cleaned out from all the little red buds that were all over the place, and now we're going to be uh, uh, attacking the, uh, the, these little fellows here. But I was cleaning them up yesterday. They're really hard to clean up, okay? Uh, sweeping them, raking them is hard to do. And I, the reason for this, these babies are designed to dig in. They're designed to plant themselves. I've actually seen the, the fast forward uh, of one of these on the ground that when it's planting itself in the ground, it's really kind of cool to watch. But they are designed in such a way that they actually bore into the ground and they plant themselves in the ground. So they're designed to get a grip. Okay. Now, they're also designed to catch wind. So the one thing that I can do to get rid of them is pull the blower out. Uh, the other things don't do that great. The broom doesn't do that, that great. But if I get the, bl the blower out, that they're pretty good. I need to stop playing with those. Uh, but they, it, you know, they're, they're pretty cool like that. But I was just thinking about how they are designed a certain way. If we go against that design, we're trying to work them against that design, it just doesn't go very well. How important it is, then, that we remember that God has designed us a certain way. And when we buck against that. Now, I told James... He could skip the normal opening this week. Normally, he stands up and he says, hey, we want you to be connected to God. We want you to be connected to each other, and we want you to be connected uh, to your purpose. But what we're doing there when we go through that is talking about what God has designed you for. And I can say with great deal of confidence and not to be self-serving with, hey, you got to be plugged in here or anything like, like that. you got to make things uh, work around here for me or my sake. That's not what I'm saying. I can say with great confidence that God has designed us, first of all, for a relationship with Him. And if we do not have that relationship that can only be secured through faith in Jesus Christ, He came to make that connection or reestablish that connection to God that sin had torn apart. He paid for our sins, said, trust in me for forgiveness of sin, and I'll reestablish that connection. If we are without that connection, we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not fulfilling the, our design, what God has designed us for. And he has also designed us to pursue him together as a body of believers. Now, that point you may struggle with a little bit because sometimes I do too. I get that. Sometimes we're just like, I, I don't need other people. I don't need church or whatever like that. All I can say is the God who designed you says this is what you were designed for. You were designed for relationship. You were designed to connect with others. But, but people are so flawed and churches can be so messed up. I get it. I'm just saying that God designed uh, us to be connected to the church so much so that when they are starting the ministry what are they doing they are setting up local churches you know when this whole thing started I got looking and I said okay we're gonna we're gonna work to make sure that we can do a better broadcast like this or a better uh, post on Facebook live and and then I thought why there are so many good preachers out there why would anybody want to listen to me uh, why shouldn't I just tell the people of the church hey go listen to somebody who's good uh, that'd be great you get a break and you get to do this 
But honestly, the reason why we decided we needed to do this here is because God designed really the local church, that you would have a pastor that cares about you uh, and a group of elders that, that lead the church and they care about you and care about your spiritual well-being, that they, they minister, that this that these local church is actually essential. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn there. I don't think that is a self-serving thing. But God has designed us for a relationship with him. God has designed us for a relationship with others that moves us in the direction of him. And God has designed us uh, to connect with our purpose. And that is sharing him, sharing his love, sharing the message of Jesus Christ with others. Okay, if you would think about that with me for a second, if we fight against that design, if we fight against that for which we have been designed, uh, then... I mean, don't you think that's going to lead to endless frustration? I think it will. So would you with me try to embrace that? Would you again with me just pray about that today? Father, please, Father, may the glimpse that we have of you this day, may it change us. May you show us our need, Lord. May you, would you please, humble us. Lord, I watched too much news in the last 24 hours. And uh, quite frankly, I, I was telling the team here, Lord, you know, I, I, I don't know how to speak into what's going on. I, I really don't. I... I Help. Yeah, that's, that's what I pause and say, Lord. Just just help us. Lord, I, I so would love to see revival come out of the situations that we face right now and the hardships we face right now. I'd so to love I'd so love to see, you know, the way we've watched you tear down barriers between countries and between uh, different people groups. We've watched you do that with the gospel. I'd so love to see that. I'd so love to see healing. And Lord, even as I pray that, you remind me that that brokenness, that turning to you, that humility, that crying out, that dealing with sin starts in each one of our individual lives. Father, would you bring that message home even greater, in a greater way to me and to those who are hearing my voice right now, I ask in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.